Episode 91 of the Bevan James Isle Show, the Fitness Behaviour Podcast, an interview with Chris Holt. Welcome along to episode 91 of the Bevan James Isle Show, the fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Uh, welcome back. It's, it's two weeks since I've done the last show. Actually, I got, a, I got an amazing amount of feedback on that last show. Like, you, you know, when you do the show, you often get some emails from people and occasionally you get, you know, you'll do a show that seems to get a lot more feedback and... Um, yeah, I got a massive amount of feedback. And actually, one of my old friends from school, a girl called Kashana... Uh, who does a bit of life coaching and stuff, and she actually, we caught up for coffee, and she gave me some ideas on how to improve the show as well, which was really valuable, um, and I may, may even get her on the show in the future as well, because she's got some pretty good insight, uh, so that was kind of cool, it's always nice to get feedback from you guys, just hearing that, you know, the work we're doing on the show is kind of helping in some way, shape, or form, and this kind of, you know, I know that for me, this model of living of how do I want to feel at the end, and, and, and enhancing that experience is something that I'm just trying to live more and more on top of, because I find it really works it, it's, it seems to be a really powerful tool in my life so if you didn't listen to the last episode just go back to it just go to my website Bevan James Isles or wherever you get podcasts from and it's all there to do I'm not going to spend too much time at the front of the show today talking about stuff because I've got a really good interview with a guy called Chris Holt Chris Holt was um, an Olympic swimmer also a very successful age group triathlete he's won his age group championship at the Kona World Championship so for Ironman uh, the Ironman were Hawaii, which is the most iconic race, the race that most people in the world are going to know about. Well, that race, he's won his age group, which is a significant thing. It's a very, very challenging race. And to even race in Hawaii, uh, which I was fortunate to do in my time, is is a, is a pretty massive achievement. But then to actually go on and to win the race, he's pretty much got you know in the top 10 every time he's done the race in the Kona as well so a very very elite athlete and we actually interviewed him on my other podcasts a few weeks ago and while we were interviewing him I just loved his insight into life so I actually flicked him an email and said do you mind coming on this show and just doing an interview around you know how you work because he does a lot of coaching and he's kind of like myself more fascinated more on the mind side of coaching so in doing that he's kind of you know, I just thought there's been really good insight that he could add into what we're doing there. So I'm going to be getting him on in any second soon. But before I do, I just want to say if you want to become a patron of the show, what you can do is you go to bevanjamesisles.com and I'm going to name a few of my current patrons. And Renee, the Hawk Cause, Michael Hardcore O'Kane, I know both of those people. We've got Samuel Molino Weaver, Mysterious Man. We've got Donald Donald, the Explorer James. And he actually sent me a really great email this week. Um which I may read parts of it out to you at the end of today's show, so I may, if, if I get time at the end of the show, um, but they are all patrons of the show, and if you want to become a patron of the show, all you need to do is go to bevanjamesisles.com, and you can just flick a few dollars my way, and that way, every time I release a show, you just, you know, put a donation to the show, and it really helps, like it seriously really helps, it allows me the time to be able to put the show together and one thing I'm actually saving on right now is is updating my website my website's a bit dated nowadays and I'd like to get it so it's a bit more web you know web ready for the now before we call responsive design and those types of things so it'd be really great to get you know that support with all the people who already are patrons but if you aren't a patron and the way I like to think about it is you know like I spend a lot of money on books and I you know if, if this 
this podcast brings you a, a book's worth of value each year, well, is it worth kind of donating what you'd put towards a book? And I know that the shows that I'm really passionate about with podcasting, I financially support them as well because, you know, I think it's important in today's world to support those, you know, in this new kind of modern world who, who kind of create content that you really enjoy. So again, go to bevanjamesiles.com. Anyway, team, I'm going to get straight into it. Here is Chris Holt. Radio team, well, I'm pretty happy to have a, a a very successful man on the show today, a guy called Chris Holt. Uh, he's an Olympic Olympic swimmer. He's an age group Ironman champion. He is a pretty amazing coach as well, and uh, he seems to be a pretty successful man in many fronts. How are you going, Chris? Pretty good. How are you? I'm, I'm you know, it's nice and early. We're keen. Uh, so, yeah. mate, just maybe you know, a lot of my audience won't know much about yourself. So maybe maybe just give a bit of a history on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm coming more from a swimming background, the early part of my life, although lately, if I look at the math of it all, it's um, half my life now has been an endurance sport. So, And even then, one would say I swam as an endurance swimmer with the 400 IM, um, a lot of long-distance freestyle events, 800 and 1500 meter, and then the 200 butterfly. So it, it is um, always an endurance focus, but uh, the first... You know, 20 years of life, 30 years of life, we're swimming-based um, all, all across the world on a national team level for Germany and fortunate enough to swim in two Olympics or participate in two Olympics for swimming. And um, after swimming or sort of on the back end of swimming, it was more cross-training, getting um, the body uh, fit and ready for swimming still, but using some other um, disciplines to sort of try to get a jump on it, figure out different ways to train. And part of that was very late on some triathlons, um, just to keep the engine going, to use some different muscles. And it did translate pretty well to the pool. So then when I was done with swimming in 96, yeah, and a little bit after, uh, late 96, I switched over to doing triathlons. And I really enjoyed that. And have been doing it for, you know, another, you know, 96 to now another 20 plus years. Yes. So, um, yeah. And then some endurance events in there too, some hundred mile runs, some endurance swims, you know, ocean swims, longer ocean swims. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's the main thing from a, from an athletic background. So let's, let's take it right back to the start. Why were you a successful swimmer? Why do you, what do you put that down to? Well, I think when you learn swimming early on in your life or you're, you're a swimmer early on in your life, you, you just go with what the coach tells you. Um, and I had great coaching. But the beauty of my, early, my coaches early on is they kept me focused on the events, on, on wanting to succeed, on wanting to progress on a daily basis. And they recognized early on that their coaching style was listen, we don't have to be this or we don't have to win that. We just have to be better next week, next month, next season than we were this season. And once you take that pressure off yourself of I want to achieve this, I have to get this result, I must achieve that time, it's actually quite nice because you're just focusing on becoming a better you, not 
keeping up with everybody else. Mm. And in swimming, that worked really well for me because I knew if I keep progressing, eventually my times will keep getting faster and it will be good enough and uh, to, to achieve the results or goals or um, times that I wanted or where I believed I could get to. And the same thing there is that you're, you're only focused on yourself, not the results of the lane next to you, of your, of your competitors. And so it makes the process quite easy. And I've done that in triathlon. I know I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here. But in triathlon, that, that was the big part of why I was so drawn to it, especially Ironman. If you take care of your day, your own day, and your own results, you will have a successful day. Like it's interesting because you know I know with sporting body bodies there's this kind of big expectation on winning and uh, and you know they're kind of judged by their results and so I imagine for the coaches at the time that must have been a kind of a lot of trust in themselves and their and their world to not put the pressure on you guys to get results but to kind of take that long term approach of let's just keep improving you. I actually listened to an interview yesterday of John Wooden who was quite a famous football coach who's who's passed away now but and he was very much basketball. Yeah, yeah, oh, basketball. Sorry, basketball coach. Yeah, and um, but very successful, and, he, and that's what he was talking about was this idea of, well, if we can just improve on yesterday, then we're going to get the results we desire. But you know, at the same time, it's an easiest thing said than done, isn't it? Not to focus on the result, especially in something like swimming or let's say track running, where a hundredth of a second, yeah. your day is done, or your day is different, your mm. result is so different. But it also takes the pressure off to focus on doing your best. And if you keep the athlete motivated and engaged um, and invested in their own result, then they found, or I was lucky to have coaches that applied this, that you stay with it longer, you stay focused longer, you get fitter, and the results automatically come. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was very enlightening. And you only, again, um, if you were doing better, you were always satisfied with your result. And therefore, you were motivated to train more. If it's something that's not as tangible as your own result or as achievable as being better than yesterday, um, then sometimes it becomes something too far off. And we can't put it into the conscience, the same, conscious mind the same way of achieving a result that is tangible. Um, and of course, there's long-term results we want to get to, and they're not always tangible. But if you can break that down in steps of gradually getting there by just becoming a better athlete yourself day by day, you see the path of gradual improvement quite nicely. So you're in you're in the swimming world. It's a very supported world. Uh, you had a good team around you to help you kind of get to your highest levels. Then you step out of that you know, and then you go into triathlon. Now, what was that transition like? Because I imagine going from being a very supported athlete to kind of that totally disappears. And I imagine it's a pretty fast transition where it's totally taken away from you. What was that like for you at the time, personally? Um, it was, uh, on the one hand, I was looking for an outlet because all those years of structured swimming, going to absolutely nothing quickly had my body spinning in circles. Yeah. Um, so the, the outlet of doing three different sports was very nice because it allowed for some swimming and uh, some biking and running, which I hadn't done enough of. And I was outside and I was fresh air and just doing different disciplines. But yes, it is a, it is a big jump, uh, big change because it's a very individual sport. 
Um, you have to learn a lot of new skills, whether it's just being safe on the roads, cycling, to being able to run longer distances versus just sprinting around like I used to do running for swimming. Um, so, yeah, there was a, a transition, but it also allowed for me to understand what I'm doing better. Spending that time by yourself and allowing yourself to look inward and understand why I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, what do I need to do to improve. Because I was so supported before, you think less about what you're doing on the process and you, you just think about your own improvement and your training and how to best execute that. Now I had to research the training myself. Now I had to understand the physiology and what's happening and the injury prevention and the progression and all that by myself. So that was a fun learning process and, and very um, it, it inspired a lot of growth because you learn so much more about yourself and you come to the point, of course, where you go, man, I wish I had known this when I was swimming. Um, the, the classic line of, you know, had I known this back then, yeah. I would have been more successful. So so for you, it was very much the, the discovery of this next stage was actually quite exciting for you. Yes, yes, especially the learning and understanding now what the coaches meant back then and why they were doing it. When you're coached, as, as many athletes are these days, but especially as a younger athlete, you don't think as much of the why, maybe when you're a little bit older, but um, and older in the in this world of swimming, I'm talking, you know, 17 to 23. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not talking too much older and therefore not that much mature. Um, but when you're uh, on your own, you go through that process of understanding completely differently and you look at yourself completely differently. Well, for those people who are listening right now who maybe have children who are pretty talented athletes, you know, swimming is such a consuming sport for children um, mm -hmm. and is, is kind of um, a sacrifice of life, especially at a very important time in life. Mm -hmm. What would be your advice to those parents who do have, maybe not just swimming kids, but athletes who potentially have a career in sport? The, the, the cliche is to say the having fun, right? Um, but we all know whether as parents, but also for the kids. There's many days where it's not fun. Mm. And for you in your household to have a team, to have an expectation that's not really um, verbal, but you just know that this is what we do and this is how we do it, I think creates a great framework for the children and the parents. The parents know that this is what we do. We have to get it done to get them to swim practice, spend the time there, the driving there and back or any practice, whether gymnastics or soccer or baseball or all the different sports. It's a big time sacrifice. And then for the children, knowing that the parents, there is no out, other outlet um, or other choice. This is just what we do. It doesn't mean you don't do any other sports, but that you're, you're sticking with it and we have fun with it as a team. Um, it's not just me doing it. It's my parents, my brothers and sisters. And this is, we talk about it as a team. Mm. That's one thing that I noticed early on in my household growing up. My brothers also swam. So that's just, we just knew we were a team. And when we went places, we were swimmers. Um, or in other families, we play soccer or this is what we do. And at the dinner table or in the morning or when you're getting ready for the workout or you just don't want to train that day you know there's a team at home supporting you. Did, did, did you feel a sense of missing out in, in those kind of mid-teenage years? 
when I was in it, there's yeah. always something on the other side where you feel, wow, that would be fun to do. Yeah. In hindsight, absolutely not. Um, in hindsight, I know how much it benefited me. And now having two children on my own, observing them as well on their drive with sports and wanting to do different things on days that they have training and sort of guiding them towards that understanding, that awareness of, no, this is what we're doing. This is what we committed to. And we're going to have fun with it. I'll be there with you. It's not like I just drop them off and check out. So having them know, and even back then I knew sort of deep down inside, yes, that is maybe fun for a day or two, but I like my swimming friends and I like my swimming world and it's very familiar and supported and it's, it kept me going. Mm. So in the, I, oh, sorry, I was also, sorry to interrupt. Is I was also very lucky that I had some great swimmers around me that were always better than me, but they were also my friends. So I wanted to keep up with them. Yeah. Um, they went on to win medals in the Olympics. I never did. Mm. They went on for to a lot more success than I did, traveling and internationally. But it kept me sort of yearning to be part of their group, and that was also a great motivator that. My friends and my peers were at swimming, at my sport, and they were also a little bit better than me. So that that combination was very effective. You talk about how for your coaches over it's kind of your growth, but when you see other people maybe achieving those markers that are the ultimate markers, was that hard for you or, or because you had that perspective it allowed you to just kind of sit in your place? Um, I don't think I would describe it as hard for me. I knew I was trying my best. I knew I was giving it my best. I knew I was progressing. I never really slowed down. So I knew if I'm patient with it, and early on I knew this, um, that you know I would be happy with my results. Um, I had uh, parents in that respect that they didn't really understand my sport at all. They were never swimmers. Yeah. So with that, you it wasn't the fake sort of, oh, you can do it, Chris, you're doing great. But it was sort of understanding it with me and learning with me of what we're doing and what we need to do. And let's just go do it and let's keep going with it. Mm -hmm. Do um. Uh... Oh, I had a question in my head and it just popped out. So, so when you were working with, oh no, so you're you're quite an, you're obviously quite an optimistic. I find a way to make it work, person. If you know what I mean, like it seems like, and it's probably maybe yeah. something. Is that something you've always had? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've so, always been a forward person. Yeah, yeah, and, and so it's kind of like, well, here's the situation. How do I make the best of it? And then how do I kind of strategically work through it? Is kind of seems to be what comes across in the way you the way you approach things. You know, you're a coach, and um, and I know you like you know obviously do a lot of kind of programming and stuff like that. But actually, I know that what appeals to you is this idea of how do I help person develop as a person. Um, so when you're dealing with someone who isn't that way inclined, you know, who maybe does see the glass half empty and and is kind of sees all the things that's going to go wrong, how do you start to work with that person and what have you found has helped that person shift to ways which are better ways of approaching their growth? I approach it in a variety of different ways. Everybody is different. Um, everybody has a different past and reasons deep inside them while that why they see themselves as not able to do X or why they won't achieve something. And so 
I think the first bigger process is um, creating a relationship of trust with them in order to sort of get deeper into their background as to why they believe it this way, connecting them to a result that they can then eventually embrace. Um, so once we have that, once we have that trust, and once we're growing together as a relationship, coach, athlete, coach, mentor, um, and then to that person, then we work on way smaller goals, way smaller. I mean, the improvement, there's so many ways to improve. And I like to say this on a, on a side note. I say this to all my athletes and anybody I work with. You don't have to be an elite athlete to be, have the mindset of an elite athlete. And that all that means is how you are going about improving yourself day by day is oftentimes way better than what elite athletes do. They screw that up yeah. so often because they beat themselves up. But your approach, anybody can have the approach of what am I doing today to make myself better? What am I, how am I preparing myself to have a better tomorrow? And that's not always in the form of sports. It's in eating. It's in preparing for tomorrow's workout. It's in sleeping. It's in recovery. It's in clearing up workload or family load in order to execute tomorrow even better. So that's something I work with athletes on a lot of just having the right mindset. And with that mindset also comes realizing what you are achieving. Many of the athletes out there forget what they've achieved so far and what they are actually doing, whether it's in Ironman training or ultra, and distance tra ultra endurance training. What they're doing, 95% of the world population does not do. Mm. They are a very, very, very rare bunch that can do these things, you know, bang out a 10-mile run you know, go for an hour and a half swim. I mean, it's incredible. And understanding that these are great achievements day by day, despite balancing children, despite working a full-time job, despite all the roadblocks that are in their way. So coming to understand, you know what? Yes, I am improving. I am progressing. I am achieving a lot. And I'm just going to up this a little bit more and a little bit more, not in volume, not in time, but in getting to the next step of improvement. So the way I improve is the thing I'm trying to improve. Exactly, exactly. So you talk about building trust. How do you build trust? Listening. Yeah. <laughs> Listening a lot, understanding them, taking time to really dig into what's important to them. I mean, besides that we work through goals and why they're doing the sport or this event that they've chosen, whether it's sailing solo around the world, to doing an Ironman, to running 100 miles, to swimming 72 miles down a river in, you know, wherever they have. All my athletes have done some crazy things. Um, first, understanding deep down inside why. Why are they participating in this sport? What's your drive? Is it just to exercise and be fit? Um, some are very honest. It's because they want to eat anything. <laughs> I mean, there's a hundred different reasons for pe why people do an event or choose a certain sport. And once we get to the bottom of that and, and create some sort of understanding around that, it's hitting those triggers and connecting with them on 
reminding them why you're doing this out of joy, out of fun. It's your hobby. We all went pro in something other than sports. <laughs> it's called a job. Yeah. And um, and understanding like there's there's a very delicate balance with being successful of progressing as well as still having fun. And it can be fun and progressive at the same time. And that's understanding your achievements, but that's also taking yourself seriously. Um, we all know those, what I call passive aggressive athletes who say, oh, you know, I'm doing okay. You know, they're probably doing pretty good and they're achieving their workouts, but they don't want to give themselves credit for how hard they're working and the mm -hmm. time they're sacrificing. Mm -hmm. So there's, um, there's a variety of different ways, but it's just connecting with them so that they understand that they have an advocate, me, and also understand that I'm not going to judge them on not achieving. It's, about, it's just, again, about being better tomorrow, next week, next month than you are today. And if they're doing that, it's, it's a great feeling because then they come to realize it. We can look back a month and say, look at where you were then. Look at what you were doing then. Look at how you were recovering then. Look at how you were eating then, how you were sleeping then. You're a better athlete today than you were a month ago. That is phenomenal. And if we continue this longevity and health and with older athletes, I mean older being older than 40 because we're all you know slowing down, um, if they can stay healthy and fit and connected later on because they understand this concept, my work is done. Because they will go on to live a healthy and um, plentiful lifestyle. What is some of this? You know, when you first started coaching, you know, I'm sure you came into it with some philosophies that have maybe shifted over time uh, as you've become more experienced. What have been some of those shifts that maybe you had early on that you've realized that maybe you know aren't so useful, and where have they shifted to? Well, in the beginning, as we all were younger, it's a lot more competitive, right? Oh, I have, I know the way. And my coaching way is the only way. <laughs> uh, and it might not have been quite that extreme, but, you know, being locked into your principles a little bit more and wanting to work with athletes that take it very seriously. And, you know, it's, it's that selfish resume you almost want. Like, oh, look at my athletes. They can do this and they've qualified for that and they've won this. And so it almost builds yourself up. Mm. But over the years, it's definitely transitioned to, wanting to help people, wanting to work with people to better their lives and health and fitness and being injury free and having a mindset of positive growth is way more rewarding than somebody standing on a podium somewhere. I mean, don't get me wrong, both are, are rewarding, but one lasts a lot longer. So, so early on, the driver was very much about me proving myself, whereas now it's about me helping others. Yes, yes, for sure, for and, sure. And, and, I, and I enjoy working with the athletes because I call them all athletes because they're all sacrificing time and their body and family and work in order to achieve their goals. And that's You're an athlete if you're doing all those things. Yeah. Um, and you know, I enjoy working with those that are not the best of the best. I enjoy those because A, they improve the most. Their, their improvements are in big chunks, yeah. so it's a lot of fun. But it's also seeing them grow and confidence and excitement of seeing what they are capable of. And 
then them going through that personal understanding of, wow, I really can do this. And now what else am I capable of? And, and it transpires throughout their, their day, whether it's with their family, whether how they're working with their kids, how they're working with coworkers, how they treat themselves, how confident they are. It's all because they're understanding I am incredible in what I can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm healthy and I'm feeling better and I'm moving forward. And it's, it's a great sensation to observe people grow like that and then go on without my coaching and years later come back and say, you know what, you had a huge impact on my life mm-hmm. um, because from, you know, I move, went forward from there. And whether that's people from a, a rich role perspective, right, who went on to write books and, and, and have a very big impact on people all around the world with his plant power um, based uh, approach to, you know, just an athlete down the street understanding this is how I this is how I view myself now. Oh, well, I totally agree. I I I, I'm, I really believe that if you bring exercise into people's lives, they become better people in transferable ways, and and that opens them up to possibilities of self in many other ways, doesn't it? Yes, for sure, for sure. And you know, we are all in a society, especially here in the United States, where it's getting unhealthier and unhealthier, mm. and the the pressures we put on people with regards to what they need to do to exercise have become a lot. Mm. This is doom and gloom and you must train and you must exercise and you must eat smarter. It becomes, it's overwhelming. Mm. And having an impact on one person at a time to just help them understand, no, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to make progress. Mm. And progress is just a better you tomorrow than today. Mm. And, you know, I, I, you know the cliche saying saying of progression, not perfection. Mm. That's what we're looking for, and those people, and in general, the health of a bigger population will get better if we just gradually encourage good behavior. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because what is healthy, and, and and I've been one thing I think about now with what's happening with nutrition. You know, I think you know there's almost this divide in nutrition, as in there's the the people who are kind of in poverty who actually don't have very good choices for nutrition, and maybe don't have the knowledge, and then we have kind of the wealthier people who, and how do you find wealthier people? But almost they're unhealthy because they're so concerned about what they're eating. You know, like yeah. they're actually eating pretty healthy, but they're actually doing it to a they're so worried about getting things perfect that they're actually unhealthy in their mindset. Yep. And confused and yeah. overwhelmed. Yeah. And they're switching. So, I mean, just imagine your body, what it goes through when it switches a diet approach every nine months. Yeah. If you go from, you know, little fats and more carbs to no carbs yeah. and more fats and then, you know, paleo to plant versus it just, it never can adjust, and the body it takes a little bit of time to really get efficient and um, the results that you are looking for, and it's very confusing out there. And so, there too, especially with nutrition, if you can eat a little smarter, a little better, yeah, that's all it, it requires. Yeah, and, and do it guilt free. You know what I mean? Like, don't, like, don't live in that decision after the fact forever. You know, like it's yeah. it's such an important thing. Um, you know, when you think about people you're helping, you know, obviously there's this kind of how do I become a better athlete? But what other aspects outside of it? You know, 
allows him. I know we, we, we I've, I've interviewed Chris before, guys, and, and Chris had a financial career, and and you did well in your financial career, which allowed you to kind of have a, a freer life after the fact. So when you think about those kind of aspects and and being able to have freedom in your life, what are the things that you think are important around that? With regards to um, just, just income, or I'm well, not I'm not sure. Uh, just kind of you know like you. What do you think it allows to have a free life, if you know what I mean? Yeah. For me, it's, it's your ability to, of course, make your own decisions on a daily basis on how you want to live your day, right? I'm not, I'm not I'm subject to being in the office at a certain time. Um, and so that is, of course, the freedom that I like, but I've also created a life that is quite busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very passionate about what I do um, with, with regards to coaching, helping others, um, uh, being sort of in this, uh, you know, for, for, for lack of a better term right now, the, the Carol Dweck uh, uh, growth mindset mm-hmm. and working with people on that. Um, and not that I'm some great motivational speaker or I have some way that I've figured it out, but it's more again, as an advocate, as somebody that works with them, stands side by side with them. And that's in many cases, not even just in coaching. It's just spending time with whether you're an executive, whether you're an athlete, or whether you're a high school child, just guiding the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, it's not the only way, and it's not necessarily always the right way, but at least you are moving confidently forward in that way. Whether it's, um, I've worked with some youth teams, and the challenge there is not pretending to have the answers, but more saying, you guys, this is, if you choose this way, if this is how we want to go about it, whether it's playing this team um, in soccer, or it's, this is how we want to train for that event, um, well, then let's go about it, but with, with vigor and with confidence and as a team. And if we screw up, all of us together, at least we know we did it together. We made a commitment to it. And that works the same way in in the corporate environment, that you're able to, at least when you make a decision, make it and move forward with it. Um, And that's what I did with with my work, too. Um, I left the finance world and I said, well, if I'm going to step out on this diving board, that might be an empty pool or it might be a full pool. (laughs) I at least am going to bounce a few times and jump. Um, I'm not going to just keep standing on that diving board looking looking back at the end of it and going, huh, should I get off or huh, should I jump forward? Make a decision. Well, because that's often the thing. Like I think of the person in kind of late 30s through to 50 who wants the passionate life but they feel they've committed to a life that they're actually stuck in, you know, and – and um. And, and in some ways, they may be because of credit debt and all that kind of yeah. stuff around it. And so it's easy to kind of think, well, this is just the way it has to be for me. And yeah. and how do you allow that person to make that kind of that jump towards a more passionate life for, you know, those types of things? There's still plenty of time in your day, despite having to do work and work a job, excuse me, do work, <laughs> um, have a job that you, know, you have to pay the bills, of course. Yeah. But there are opportunities throughout your day at work and throughout your weekends and after work to fill it with passion. There might be projects at work that you were not quite uh, motivated or courageous enough to take part in, 
but they might open doors that you didn't even know existed. And not in the terms of career path, but in terms of getting to know different people um, and exciting opportunities on the same level, maybe even, or just applying yourself differently. Um, as we say in, in, in many, again, cliche ways, is turn the obstacle upside down. If it's something that really um, stands in your way or that bothers you, Look for the opportunity in the obstacle. And if work and lack of passion or lack of passion in your life or your day is part of that, well, how can I squeeze something out of it? How can I turn that obstacle and come at it from a different angle? Um, maybe there's, you know, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's athletic uh, endeavors, fill your day at least with a few things that are passionate for you every day. Mm. What, what, what do you struggle with? Like, it's always interesting, you know, when we kind of in this position to help others. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, the thing is, people think we're perfect when you're in that position. You know, you get this kind of this perception that, well, look at what you've achieved. And so you must be bloody this kind of godlike figure. And, and it's so not true. We're all human and we all have our faults. So what are your kind of the things that you kind of struggle and kind of work on within yourself? Um, for me, uh, from a, from a, uh, work perspective is broadening the message right um that's my biggest challenge i present to myself is i want to work with more people and in a more diverse manner uh, not just athletes i yeah. feel that the message can be positive for so many people and it's not that i want to sit in front of an auditorium and talk to a thousand people but i'm i'm talking more in a more diverse group um whether it's mothers struggling um, to f you know, find some time in their day to exercise and be healthy and live out their passion a little bit, as well as um, CEOs that claim to be too busy, um, mm -hmm. or even employees in many companies that don't have any, that take no time off. They work and work and work and just, you know. So there's plenty of that. And then personally, it's continuing to grow um, in the knowledge and the mindset of helping others and, and how to get through to them. Um, and what is the message? Is it, um, is it a, a more firm message of this is how we need to go about it? Or is it a more laid back message? Um, both have their ups and downs. So, and then, you know, we're all always growing. Um, there's plenty of mistakes I make. I have two kids and they'll tell you, <laughs> you know, uh, there's plenty of time to improve. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Just, just lastly, you know, if you someone's listening to this and you know they don't have exercise in their life, and and it's something that they, you know, I think most people who don't have exercise kind of either feel guilty or know that they need to, or set thing they're going to do tomorrow. What would be maybe your advice to that person? I think you heard me say it on the other podcast that we did, um, and that is a little something every day. Um, it doesn't need to be a lot. A lot of people think that they need to start with 45-minute runs or this or that. You know, the 20-minute walk, the 20-minute run, the take in the stairs and log it and show that you're making progress. Back to the original point is if you're making a little bit of progress each day and you're a better self than yesterday, even 10 minutes of exercise, even five minutes of exercise, guess what? You're better than yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so tomorrow, six minutes of exercise, you're better than today. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful process of understanding I don't have to be someone I'm not. 
I don't have to be this perfect athlete. I don't have to be help, this perfectly healthy person. I don't have to be so committed. I just have to be a better self tomorrow than today. Mm. And it encompasses so many aspects of your daily life of understanding I'm a better employee than yesterday. I'm a better father or mother than yesterday. I'm a better partner than yesterday. And it, it can be in the... Well, and, and the thing I love about your approach is it's very much about evolution, isn't it? It's, and, and it's kind of working towards that kind of wisdom that ultimately life can deliver. And that that whole idea of the person I am, 5, 10, or whatever my future is, is more knowledgeable, more understanding, you yeah. Know, and, yeah. and is more successful in how I live my life. We go about it the same way when I work with my elite athletes because a lot of them sabotage themselves by putting too much pressure on themselves like that. And you know, all they need to do is connect with themselves and understand how am I going to be a better athlete at this race, in this arena than I was last time. Mm-hmm. And take, take all that away from, from off the plate of, what you need to achieve in order to validate yourself. Just improve yourself on a daily basis. And the other thing about that is the beauty is your ability to stay healthy and injury-free. If you go about it very gradually and very um, delicately with that growth of just a little bit better, you're not going to kill yourself with too high of an effort or too long of an effort. So then you break the string, you break the chain of daily improvement if you're too exhausted or too tired or injured or sore or, you know, there's an, even in daily life. If you go too hard at work for three days in a row, right, then mm. you have to take a day off or you get sick. Yeah. So same thing. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. You're a very wise man and uh, – uh, if people want to follow you, if people want to get in contact with you, they go to where? Um, AIMP Coaching, A-I-M-P Coaching.com, or they can just send me an email at chrishowd at gmail or chris at AIMP Coaching. Um, that's the best way. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really okay. um, appreciate you coming on, and uh, good luck for the Bye. dog. <laughs> All righty. We're actually back with Chris because we kind of keep talking and, uh, and we were just talking a little bit about how you work with athletes and their mindset and with all, let's get the, let's push record and keep going. So tell, tell me about that. Yeah, so what I've come to recognize over many years of coaching, whether it's um, swimmers or triathletes or ultra endurance runners or just all levels of athletes, is they invest so much time into their training and the, these months and months of work and paying attention to nutrition and working on improving themselves day by day, and come the big event, there's a gap. Their results from training and the indicators we have from that show that they should be able to approve, uh, um, achieve a certain result. And somehow, come race day, and it's not a question of nerves, or it's not a question of the competition, but it's their own self getting in the way of having a successful day. And so, what I worked on with a lot of athletes is how to address that. They know inside themselves what their results should be. They see it in training. They've observed it for months, whether in the pool or on the bike or running or training days. They know what they're capable of, and then they're frustrated that on race day they're not able to put that together. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's some nutrition and environmental aspects, but still, there is a result that is achievable no matter what. And so... The big thing there is working with them on what it is they're sabotaging. 
Is it their emotions? Is it once something goes wrong that they give up? All those different aspects of mindset um, is what we focus on these days. Um, whether it's via detachment, whether it's what I call a helicopter approach, where they look at themselves outside their body from above and observe what their body is doing on the bike and while they're running. Um, like I always used to say, or I still say, if you took you know, one of the best athletes in that particular sport, let's say triathlon, and you say, okay, I'm capable of this, and I put, you know, Crowe's body, uh, head on my body, or, you know, as a swimmer, I took Michael Phelps's head and put it on my body. What is it capable of? Mm. Would it not go as fast as I want it to go? No, it wouldn't go as fast as Crowe or Michael Phelps, but it would squeeze every last ounce out of this body. Mm. And so that gap, is the key that's that's the part that i want to unlock of helping the athlete get their best self out of them what they've trained for and the results that they know they can have but somehow it detaches it gets away from them mm. come race them mm -hmm. um, and that's what that what is what i truly call coaching anybody can give people a training plan and guide them to through it but coaching is working with them on achieving that result. And like we said earlier, knowing them well enough and having their trust and knowing their background and knowing deep inside them what drives them and motivates them helps us narrow it down and determine that piece. So on their performance day, you know, of you know, because the thing is you, you've talked a lot today about this whole idea of all daily improvement. Um, you know, and kind of that kind of continual evolution of how do I just make those small steps forward. But then on a peak event, you, you know, it's very much about in this moment. Uh, and so how do you close that gap between, you know, those those things that make them not be able to perform their best and yeah. actually be able to deliver on that day? Well, there's a variety of ways to go about it. But for example, detachment is a great way. Uh, um, we know we go to these um, peaks and valleys during a, an event or uh, whether it's a two-minute event or a 10-hour event. And detach yourself from the result, detach yourself from how you're feeling, and work through of how do I reconnect to my results, observe what's happening. We've already prepped for this. We knew that there's going to be um, emotional valleys in this day, and we knew that it was coming. So. This is fully still part of our day. It's all part of what we're expecting. And working with the athletes so that they know how to reconnect. What are the triggers that we put in place to reconnect? Whether that's visualization, whether that's points on the course where they can say, okay, I knew I was going to be at this point. I'm pretty happy I'm already at this point. Um, achievement during a day is a huge motivator and driver towards success. Even at the highest level, for the elite marathoner to hit mile 21 and knowing they only have you know, less than 10K to go is a huge hurdle to overcome um, and to get there and feel very positive. So there's a variety of ways we can go about it, and that just depends on what the emotional and individual triggers are for the athlete. Mm, and so what you're saying is that we spend a lot of time preparing and putting strategies in place so when those moments hit, I know where I'm going to go. Exactly. It's expected as well as we put a gap in or we create a wedge into what is often seems to be too far for the mind to, to 
um, process how much more we have left to the finish line. So for example, in a 100 mile run, if something goes wrong at mile 35, we're extremely um, confused because how am I gonna run 65 more miles? Yeah, yeah. Right? And I'm feeling like this already. Um, in an Ironman, the same way. Or in the 400 IM in swimming, something that takes four, four and a half minutes. Um, but still, if at backstroke you're already feeling a certain way, it quickly can either um, overwhelm us or we can be prepared for it and work our brain around, all right, we don't have to understand how the breaststroke or the, the, the freestyle is going to go in this event. We don't have to think about the next 30 miles of running. We don't have to think about the marathon on the bike, um, in a triathlon. Just think about now. Pull it back into right now, into reconnecting with my goals, my strategy, my numbers, where I want to be. So many inputs there, again, are positive. Well, I've, I've had a great race so far. Now let me just take out this five-minute piece and continue with 99% of the race that will be positive or can be positive. You, you know, puzzle pieces that you take out and say, okay, that one piece wasn't good today. But if I can complete the full puzzle with just one piece missing or 10 pieces missing out of 5,000, that's a pretty good day still. Mm. And so there's so many different triggers and connection points for athletes um, and just people in general to realize their success and not sabotage their day, their result, and just understanding that and working with them through that. I like this idea that it should be expected and then what are we going to do because we know that it's going to happen. A lot of people yeah. go into growth almost a bit short-sighted and a bit blinded and then when those things happen it just throws them off completely and to know that it's a part of growth that these moments are going to happen so well let's be wise and prepare for these for sure for sure yeah. it was um it's it's what i've also always worked with with athletes and saying absolute certainty is a it, it goes deep into your subconscious and if in your training and as we work together athlete and i we work into their absolute certainty then when things go wrong, it's not a question of how will I do this, but it's a question of I will finish. Now, what do I need to get there? Yeah. What do I need to achieve my result? Because it's not a question of not finishing. It's a question of how well will I finish and how am I overcoming these obstacles now because there is no doubt in my mind I will get it done. Now, let me focus on the hurdle that's in front of me right now, the obstacle that is currently in the way. And once I'm past it, well, I'm going to keep going. Oh, and that's, that's, that's what, like, ultimately, that's what I love about it is that then even the tough experiences become empowering experiences because I've overcome the adversity that was put to me at that moment. Yeah. And, and you know, you get a double flat on your bike ride in an Ironman, and yet you're still doing well, then, then you yeah. really running. Yeah. Or once you, let's say you didn't have the greatest day early on in your race, but you're passing people late. It just, it's that, it has a snowball, an avalanche effect of positive feeling. And all of a sudden, you find yourself running faster and better and passing more people and feeling better and better about your day. And that taps into exactly what, how quickly it can change of, wow, I'm back here. I didn't expect to be back here in my race, but now I get to pass all these people and I'm running better than I've ever run before. And I feel yeah. fantastic. And so, who cares what happened back there? This is a great feeling. This is a great day. Yeah. And 
there's always a positive to be pulled from it. And it's, it's crazy once you flip that switch and you turn that obstacle or that perspective upside down and look at it from a different angle, how it makes you stronger, faster, smarter, better to approach the rest of your day, the rest of your event, the rest of your you know, life technically. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, Chris, bloody brilliant, mate. Thank you so much for your time, and I really appreciate having you on the show. And we are back. Hopefully, you really enjoyed that interview with Chris. I um, I, I love I, you know he's just a successful man, isn't he? And I love it when you get an opportunity to, to speak to successful people. It's funny. I was at the gym yesterday. And, um, you know, when, you, when you're teaching a class at the gym, or at least what I do and what most instructors do is you kind of set up your class so you get your gear ready, you put some music on, trying to create some atmosphere in the room. And, and I always try to be there early enough so I can kind of spend some time interacting with just people, you know, so I spend probably a good at least 10, 15 minutes before the class just kind of having a chat to people and it, it doesn't, it never seems like a job to me because I've always been a bit of a people person. I'm always the kind of, I remember as a, as a paper boy, as a kid, my, my paper run should have taken me half an hour. And it always took me about an hour at least because I just talked to all these people and uh, I don't know, that's who I am as a person. But yesterday before my class, I, there was a guy in my class who had never been to my class before. And so you always try to make sure you're putting your attention on those people because you want to make sure they're comfortable in the environment. They kind of know what they need to know about the workout and all those types of things. And I sat down and I just talked to this guy and this guy, uh, name was Tom. And turned out Tom was a very, very successful businessman. And um, I'm, I'm quite inquisitive and I'm never really afraid to ask questions. So I kind of just ducked deep into him because it was really fascinating talking to this guy. And he, he, he wasn't really expressing himself in a show-offy way, in an arrogant way. He was just kind of sharing some of his story. And I was just so inspired by this man and just sitting down and talking to him. And I just, you know, he was just... It was an interaction that I was inspired by because he was a successful person. And as it was one of those ones where you walk away from the interaction kind of thinking about your own possibilities. And that's why I love it when you get those opportunities to spend people or time with people like that in your life. And and what a success. Obviously, he's a successful businessman. I've got the feeling he's a pretty successful person all around. Um, but, you know, when you get that chance, make sure you embrace it in life. And, you know, it seemed to me that Chris is one of those people that, he, he puts time and energy in, into his life in a way that allows him to be successful. And, uh, you know, and hopefully for you and your life, you know, ultimately, I suppose it'd be nice to think that the people in your world think you are successful, whatever, you know, whatever success means to you. It's something I've been thinking about lately is, is what is success? And, um, it's funny how we define success. I've been thinking about this within the gym context. So at the gym, the gym I work at, there's probably, you know, there's probably maybe 40 instructors who work at the gym, and of that, there's probably six to eight who are considered the, the top instructors. Um, and I've always been fortunate to be in the position of being one of the top instructors. And and in my time, I've been able to manage to maintain that for my period. And, you know, when I look at the other top instructors, it's really interesting to think about what we value as the workout. Like some of the instructors... Now, in fairness, when I say this, I'm not saying this in a way that's critical of the other instructors because we all are very successful and, and we all do kind of the main things that it takes to be a great instructor really well. But some of us prioritize different things. So my priority has always kind of been the kind of the hard workout. That's kind of always been my thing. 
And if I wanted to get the best compliment, it would be that Bevan's the hardest instructor. And then other instructors may, you know, they're more, they're better at the social side of, of, of connecting people. And again, it's not that I don't feel I'm good at that, but they are better than me. And, and I might be slightly harder in the workout than them, but they're better than me, but they still push a hard workout. But it's just really interesting to think about, well, how do you define success? And I can look at what I'm doing in my job and feel I'm doing a really great job of what I think is important. But it doesn't mean it's the only way to be successful because there's other instructors in my gym who, you know, again, we all sit in this broad range of skills. Obviously, I'm trying not to insult anyone here, but um, but we all sit in these broad range of skills, but they put a little bit more priority somewhere else and they're really successful at that. And it's really interesting kind of how do I define success and how does it influence the way I move through life? So it's just, you know, how do you define success? You know, when in the areas you're doing, you know, like for me with exercise as an instructor, it's that hardcore workout. I want people to be successes when I look up and I know everyone's blitzing themselves. Whereas another instructor at the gym might think that success is when people are connecting together really well. And to be honest, both of us are right. And, you know, but it's, it's kind of an interesting question to think about in your life is how do you define success? What do you see and what do you feel is success? What is success for you in the area that you're trying to work in? Interesting question. You know, I got an email, uh, Donald James, Donald the Explorer. He's the, yes, the man from NASA. He works for NASA, which I always love. And, and uh, if I ever... Uh, get to NASA, if I ever get to a place where NASA is, Donald, and, and you can hook me up, I'd love to spend some time at that place. I don't know if it will ever happen, but uh, I remember years ago on one of my other podcasts, someone worked for a Formula One team, they said, if you ever get to London, or if you get somewhere in the UK, it was kind of an obscure place, I'll take you a few laps, and unfortunately I've never got there, but it, I'd love to do something like that. But anyway, NASA, I'm impressed. But anyway, Donald was the person who, a few episodes ago, we did uh, we did that show, and it was actually based on Donald's email. I'd put some homework around there, around kind of the daily planning, and uh, Donald kind of evolved it to another level, and he, I put the Donald challenge out there, and, and there was lots of great insight in that email. I can't actually, I might find what episode that was. No, I don't have it in front of me here, but it was a few episodes ago, but um, but yeah, anyway, it was very, very good. And um, Donald's insight was very, very good, I should say. Anyways, okay, so here's Donald's email. Ironically, it was this question, was it what I was talking about on the show, though not as distinct and clear as you established it, that inspired me to get a divorce. Now, I admit, he's kind of bolded the word divorce here, and when I read it, I did think, whoa, jeepers, creepers, that's pretty full on. And I was thinking, what have I done here? Uh, but he's, he's also got, uh, did I get your attention? No, I did not mean from my wife. I meant from alcohol. To be clear, I never drank a lot of alcohol. Okay, maybe a little bit at college I did. But in the last 10, 5, 15 years, I've drunk three to five glasses of anything a month maybe. But after my surgery, and Donald has had surgery recently, and it's, it's been successful, which we're really happy to hear, uh, when I was in a reflective mode, I just had this sense that my relationship with alcohol was like a boring, unhelpful marriage. I did it because it was there. I drank when I did because, well, that's what you did at certain events, etc. But what I realized was that though in those actual moments of consuming a drink, I generally liked it, unless I got adventurous and tried something that I didn't like, I almost always regretted it later, and often sooner than later. I didn't uh, I didn't feel great and peppy or affirmed. I sometimes got a headache, and if I drank late at night, usually the case if I was at a dinner party, 
I just didn't like the way I felt the next day. It occurred to me that whatever benefits there were from alcohol, that the negative effects of the sugar alone was probably just not worth it. Please forgive a crude analogy to make my point, and I do like this analogy, uh, and riffing a bit on the boring marriage metaphor. It was like, okay, I enjoyed sex while I was doing it, but after it, the important moment, it was like, what am I doing this with this woman? Do I really like her? And he kind of got, went on and, and talked about how, you know, this kind of moving away from alcohol was a really a really healthy thing for him and I just kind of like the insight he shared here and I you know there is that kind of thing I, I don't know if it's sex with your wife here but it's that kind of I do like this idea of that a fear sex isn't it and, and I don't know where I'm going with this but let's let's roll with it you know the, the, it's, it's such an exciting thing to, to to kind of sexualize a situation in your life and but then often if you were to go through with it that moment when you make that choice it's 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 instant regret and regret times like a thousand and uh you know if we think of the whole sexual kind of a fear moment it's also that kind of loss of self thing that happens in the who am i really and that's quite an extreme example of it but ultimately what donald was saying that his relationship with alcohol was a bit like that it was something that he did but was there much value in it for him and uh, the alcohol thing is an interesting one because I, I don't drink and when you don't drink often people justify their drinking to you or they feel bad about the you know the, the and I don't mind it about people drink but I know for me alcohol was definitely a thing in my life where it's like I just don't need it it does add no value but I suppose a, a question for you as you're listening to this is maybe what's an area of your life you could try getting a divorce in you know and, and a good analogy to think of is I do it but actually it just comes with regret you know, actually, I don't feel there's that much value in it. And, and to be honest, again, I don't want to pick on alcohol here because I don't, I don't think there's necessarily alcohol is a bad thing. I do think at times for some people there can be some real value in alcohol. Uh, there's levels, obviously. But, but, you know, if you were to reflect upon yourself, what's an area of your life where maybe it is worth getting a divorce? And, and using that kind of metaphor of, I mean, your daughter's metaphor, you know, like the sex metaphor, which I kind of like here. So, you know, maybe there's an era of my life I want to get divorced. And what would, and if we use the kind of the stuff I talked about in the last show, how are you going to feel in your life after the fact when you were to remove that? Like I imagine Donald feels, like I, I love the idea of there's an esteem that comes with making good decisions. There's an esteem that comes with making good decisions. And so when you make healthy decisions, you you there's an esteem. And so while Donald now goes out and socially won't drink, I'm sure he could probably feel as good about himself that he drinks. Not in a way that's judging those who don't drink, but just more like, no, I'm looking after myself here and I feel good about myself for that. And to me, sometimes actually choosing those areas of your life where you can do that is, is a good thing. So just kind of, Donald, it's you know, it's a lot of value to the show and some of the insight he shared. And so maybe what's an area you can get a divorce in and why would that be better for you? Anyway, guys, that's going to be pretty much today's show. I am, thank you very much, Chris Holt, coming on the show. And his website, I'm going to have from the links to this week's show notes. If you want to become a, a patron of the show, like many, I think I've got about 50 patrons now, which I have to say, I really appreciate all of those people. Go to bevanjamesisles.com. If you want to send me through any feedback, you can just go to bevanjames at gmail.com. If you're on social media, share the show, all that kind of stuff. And um, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I'll be doing a Bevan show. And then I've got some interviews coming up later on as well. We're heading to the end of the year. 2016. You know what I did the other day? And I'm kind of, it's one of those kind of me being proud of myself moments. But 
Um, on my phone, I've got a, a, I'm a bit of an Apple geek, and I've got um, I've got an, an iPhone, obviously. And um, I was on my phone, and in the apps for the photos, and I'm not a big photo taker. I'm not the kind of person who takes. I've got to make Jared, and I went over to Australia earlier this year, and I hung out with Jared, and he takes photos all the time, and it cracked me up, because at any moment, and his kids were quite funny, because his kids, he's got great kids, and um, the kids are like, oh, Dad, not another photo, and he's like, come on, get him for the photo, so he was a good character like that, but in iPhoto, on the phone, they actually now, they, they kind of make these slideshows, would be very easy for you to actually, so, you know, if you click on memories, and it's got the best of 2016, and I just, I saw I'd never actually seen this, so I clicked on memories and I pushed play, and um, it just showed the photos that I'd taken throughout the year and, and music and all the rest of it in the background. But I was kind of I was kind of really happy with my year. It was kind of like, wow, I've I've done a lot this year, and uh, it was quite nice just to have that moment where you kind of reflect upon and you kind of go, wow, you know, I've definitely I feel I've used this time well this year. So anyway, just want to share that with you. Maybe you can try that on your phone and see what you've done this year upon reflection. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's this this episode. Uh, I'll see you next two weeks from now. And uh, thanks for your time. Sweet. See you. Bye.